Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, chief priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Greetings and salutations. It is I, King Herod, the most powerful and the most loved king ever. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's, that's what I used to believe before Caesar took that census. You know, it was the youngest person counted in that census. That was my only concern. No, um, my obsession. <laughs> um, it, was, it was my duty to investigate this baby messiah. And I just started my investigation when three magi happened to stop by for a visit. And they, they asked me where they could find the king of the Jews. I kept my cool. Even though they just asked where you could find the king of the Jews, which is me. And they said it was a baby, which clearly is not me. Turns out they were actually looking for the little town of Bethlehem, which lay peacefully nearby. I pointed them on their way, but as they left, I asked if they wouldn't mind stopping by on their way home, you know, to let me know what they found out about this Messiah so that um, I could, you know, um, pay my respects. Of course, that wasn't my intention at all. I was curious. And I was growing more concerned, and I needed information. Anyway, man, I never saw those magi again. I think they might have figured out my plan. And you may have heard that my alternate plan was a little less um, subtle. But I thought it was foolproof. Look, look, all I wanted was for people to acknowledge that I was their king to honor me and to love me. Instead, 
they love Jesus. And, you know, Jesus loved every single person first. I have to admit it. The love of Jesus has changed the whole world. It is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we're going to light four candles. The candle of hope, the candle of peace, the candle of joy, and the candle of love. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Sharon here. So are you ready for Christmas? Um, I'm almost there. I have to confess I have one package that still has to arrive. Hopefully it'll come tomorrow morning. You know, we all have things we do to prepare ourselves for this celebration of Christmas. And even in this year, when the pandemic has changed things so much, perhaps even more so, we long for a beautiful Christmas. We long for a celebration that's peaceful and full of light and gives us hope. And so we we buy gifts and we wrap them and we send cards and we prepare foods and we want to create for those we love and for ourselves a peace-filled, beautiful Christmas. And yet today we come to a part of the Christmas story that is anything but peaceful and not always beautiful. We've been on this journey through the Advent story in our series called In Their Own Words. And we've heard from the people that have walked the journey, that first walked the journey with Jesus through Zechariah's words, Elizabeth's, and last week through Joseph's words, all leading up to this greatest event in all of human history, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But this week... This week, we encounter a dark side of the story. When Jesus coming to earth was not so one, that part of it was not so wonderful. And you may wonder, why in the world do we even include Herod in the story of Jesus, in this beautiful Christmas story? After all, we don't like to hear bad news at Christmas. Can't we just emphasize the baby and the faithful parents and the joyful chorus of angels and the seeking shepherds? Well, here's the truth. And I think we see it in the story of Jesus, but we also see it in our own hearts, our own stories. While there is light and love that broke through at Christmas, the forces of darkness and hate were stirred as well. Because resistance to the good news of Jesus has always been part of the Christmas story, always been part of our own human condition. So in Matthew's gospel, we don't, he doesn't shy away from the hard things, the conflicts that surrounded Jesus' birth. Last week, Pastor Jedediah spoke to us about the scandal, the hard choices that surrounded Joseph and his story. He reminded us pain and sacrifice, along with grace and mercy, have always been a part of the story. And so today, words from Herod 
they remove any easy sentimentality about Jesus' birth story. We can't romanticize the story of the Magi coming to find Jesus without looking in reality at the opposition that resulted in a horrible slaughter and a flight to Egypt. One commentator has said that the story in Matthew 2 is the adult version of the Christmas story. Well, I think it's important that all ages hear this part of the story to recognize that the forces of evil and darkness in the world around us, perhaps in our own hearts, the hardness that might be there, this is part of the story and we need to recognize it and struggle with it. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them again to the text that was read for you from Matthew chapter 2. Whether you have it on your phone or in print form, we're going to be walking through this familiar story and seeing for ourselves a bit of what it means to respond to the Christ child. The story begins with a light in the sky, a bright light recognized by far off stargazers. Had you heard that tomorrow evening, the so-called Christmas star is going to appear in the sky? It doesn't happen very often, but there's this conjunction between two planets where they come close together in the sky and so that they almost look like one bright light. And the last time this happened was almost 800 years ago. So if you go out shortly after sunset, if the weather permits and we're not having rain, but find a place where you can look over to the western sky and you'll see this conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn as a very bright light in the evening sky. Now, astronomers have calculated that that same conjunction of planets happened in about 7 BC. Could that have been the bright light that the Magi saw this unusual star? Others uh, surmise it could have been Halley's Comet, which actually flew across the western sky in 11 BC. Or maybe, maybe it was the dog star, so-called dog star, Sirius, which rises in the morning very brightly. And historians show and astronomers say that between 5 and 2 BC, that was the case. Sirius was very clear in the sky. Well, whether it was a natural phenomenon or a supernatural event or both, these magi, these scientists from probably from Earth, uh, not Egypt, Persia, had been watching the night skies. They had been tracking the stars. They had been paying attention. And they'd seen these patterns and made the conclusion that something on Earth had in, in affected the way the stars were going, that these unusual stars were telling them something about a king being born. And so they head west in the direction of the star, intent on finding this king whose birth had been heralded in the heavens. You know, it's a reminder to us that God reveals his truth to us in a variety of ways. Yes, in the skies and stars, but in spectacular ways and in simple ways. I mean, these were men who had a limited awareness of the Jewish story and probably not much access to the Hebrew scriptures. And yet they were given enough knowledge, enough insight from God that they could follow what they had seen. They had 
set out on a quest for Jesus just from what they had seen in the sky. So a person can follow and seek after Jesus just with what God has given us. God provided all the markers we need to move towards him, to seek him if we will only follow. And so the Magi head west, not literally follow, following the star because it wasn't in the sky as they headed that way, but they headed west towards the palace, the place of government in Jerusalem, thinking this was a fit and logical place to find a king. And it's here in Jerusalem that the story of Jesus' birth intersects with the story of King Herod. And all those hopeful and beautiful aspects of verses 1 and 2 in Matthew chapter 2 suddenly switch and we see darkness and intrigue as the scheming of a jealous and violent king comes to sight. So what do we know about Herod the Great, as he was called? Special thanks to Curtis, who gave us a perspective on Herod in his words earlier. We know that Herod was called the Great for many reasons. In fact, there were many things about Herod's reign that were great for the world. Historians note this, that he reigned in Judea for more than 40 years until his death in four, excuse me, in 4 BC. And one historian had called him a very fine beast. He was a shrewd politician. He had curried favors from both Caesar and Mark Antony, and so he knew how to play the game. And he was a larger-than-life figure. His greatness was seen not only in um, his efficient governing, because he was able to keep peace in that area for a long time, but also in his great building projects. And you can see evidence, archaeological evidence of his buildings even now. He built the temple. He began the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, which was not finished until after his death. And at times, Herod the Great was quite generous to the needs of the poor in his community. But, but Herod was an, also an insanely insecure and paranoid leader. He married in order to secure his reign and then later killed most of his family members, his sons, his wife, his rivals, brutally murdered in order to hold on to power. He was conniving, scheming, working all the angles in order to hold on to his, what he thought was his rightful power, whatever the cost. And in this text from Matthew, in Matthew's account, we see some of Herod's heart as well. If you take a look at verse three, it says, when he heard from the Magi that they were looking for a king, he was disturbed. The word actually means agitated, stirred up like water churning. It's probably an understatement that he was disturbed. But he goes, Herod goes right after it. He inquires from the people around him, these religious leaders, to find out if they knew anything about a king that was to be born, a king of the Jews. Later, after they find out the, the truth that the prophecy had pointed to the city of Bethlehem, Herod becomes secretive. You see it in verse 7. In secret, which is often the tool of a tyrant, he contacts the Magi and he asks them to tell him, when exactly did this star appear? 
And then he feigns interest in their quest. Just hear the sarcasm, the irony in these words in verses 8. Make a careful search for the child, he says. Report back to me. I want to go and worship him as well. Oh, the dreadful irony of that. Because he didn't want to worship at all. He wanted to destroy. Because you see, Herod was constantly on guard against any threat to his power. Before we go on in the story of Herod, who moved from being disturbed to being secretive, let's take a look for a moment at the religious leaders, those who advised him and gave him the news of prophecy out of Malachi. You know, these chief priests and teachers of the law had been had surrounded Herod. He invited them into his inner circle. And yet it was interesting that these men who knew the scriptures, who gave the Magi the answer to their quest, didn't bother to go with them. You see, knowing the Bible, knowing what it says, doesn't always mean you're on a quest to find Jesus. These experts, they had the right information, but it stopped there. And sometimes it's those who have all the right answers that are the, really the least interested in seeking Jesus and bowing themselves before him. It's a caution to all of us. All of us who like Bible studies, who gather information and Bible knowledge, and yet sometimes never come close to worshiping and honoring Jesus. So we come back to the story. We know that the Magi heard this news from an earthly king, and then they go on to search for this heavenly king, the true king. And God guides them again. The star appears, it says, leads them right to the home where Jesus was found with his parents. And they offer their gifts in worship. And God speaks to them again, warning them not to go back to Herod. And so they go to their own country again without reporting back to this powerful, paranoid king. So back to Herod. We didn't read these verses this morning in the text, but in verses 16 through 10, 20, we see how his emotions move from being disturbed to secret, secretive to furious. He'd been outwitted by these magi, and the fury fuels his paranoia so that, as, as Curtis said when he enacted King Herod, when Herod couldn't get to this new rival king through the Magi, his alternate plan was a little less subtle. He leads him to order the killing of every male child under the age of two in that region, that small hamlet of Bethlehem. Verse 16 says this, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. You see, the darkness in Herod's heart was matched by the violence of his actions. When darkness overtakes a heart, it's very difficult for light and life to shine through. You know, Jesus talked about this 
in one of his most famous sections of scripture, his encounter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Right after Jesus talks about God coming into the world because he loved it and wanted people to believe, Jesus says this, there are some, simply some who will not believe. From John 3, verses 19 and 20. This is the verdict, Jesus says. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. We know that Herod's evil plans did not ultimately destroy the child Jesus, but his drive to hold on to power, the darkness in his own heart, brought devastation to so many and really ended in the destruction of his own heart. So there's Herod in his own words. Herod, who had no room for another king, who loved and held on the darkness of his own jealous brooding and refused to come to the light of God's gift of love. You know, this account of Herod and the Magi isn't just a story from the past. It reveals all the places in our human hearts and asks the question, what are we going to do with Jesus? Oh, we may not be as hard-hearted and violent in our response as Herod, but we can see in this story that there are still some who come to seek him, to seek the Christ child, and some who are bent on annihilating him. Some who bend their knee in worship and some who are bent on destroying and ending the story of Jesus' love. And you and I have a choice at Christmas as well. In our response to Jesus' coming, all of us are on one of those tra trajectories. Either we're moving toward the king, we're seeking to just hold on to different information about the king, or we're resisting. We're resisting the king. We see it in the Magi. They made a choice. They were determined to find the king. They earnestly sought after for many months. It reminds us that God is willing to show himself, to lead those who are willing to be led. He gives light to those who sincerely seek him. Yes, we may want a spectacular star shining in the sky to make it all crystal clear, but even for the Magi, they had to keep pursuing, keep seeking, keep knocking. And God has always provided the light that we need to follow to find him. And as you pursue, as you go, as you inquire, as the Magi did, God will bring you, you and I, ever closer to the place where we can bow and honor and worship Jesus Christ. We also see a different choice in the religious leaders. Those who were content with knowing about the king without knowing the king. They were full of knowledge, but indifferent to true worship. This is what the prophets have written, they said. They correctly identify all the information about Christ, but they do nothing about it. Is that like some of us? 
that we have the knowledge about Jesus Christ and yet we don't respond. We just hold it and wait. And then there's Herod. Ah, Herod. What a villain in the story. Determined to destroy every rival to his own autonomy. Resisting the presence of another king. I don't want another king. I'm in charge. I decide what's best for me. Do you hear any echoes of that sometimes in your own heart? Before we too quickly distance ourselves from Herod's story, we have to confess that this resistance can take root in our own hearts. Or Jesus' coming, his claim to kingship is a threat to our way of doing things, to our kingship. We want to rule our own lives. We want to be in charge. And we resist anything that stands in our way. And if left unchecked, this determination to hold onto our own way, our own place, can lead to a full rejection of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And rejecting Christ not only hurts us, but as we see with Herod, it hurts people around us. It brings destruction and darkness even further into the story. And now we look at the child. The focus of every Advent story, what do we see when we look at the Jesus who's at the center, this newborn king who came to be savior of all? Well, a couple of conclusions we have to make, and that is, first of all, we know that no thing can ever thwart God's plans. That they're all the Herods in the world can't undo what God intends to do as he brings light and life into the world through Jesus Christ. But even more miraculous than this, that God's ultimate plans will reign out. The, the truth is that on this fourth Sunday of Advent, when we light the candle of love, we can say that Christ came into the world for every single character in that story and in our stories. He came out of love for the searching magi from another culture. He came out of love for the religious leaders who were stuck in their knowledge. And he came out of love even for the murderous Herod. If he'd only turned aside from his fear and need for control of his own life and sought a better way. On this fourth Sunday in Advent, we celebrate that love because it breaks through even the most sinister plots and the most hard of hearts. And what will we do with the light that's offered to us in Jesus Christ? What will you do this Christmas? Will you hurry past, content in your knowledge of the story that you've heard so many times? Will you harden your heart and hold on to your own power, your own way of doing things? Or will you be like the Magi who earnestly seek him, who pursue it to the point of bowing their knees in worship? You know, one of our most loved Christmas carols were written by a man whose heart was moved to truly seek Jesus. The Christmas carol, What Child Is This?, was written by William Chatterton Dix. He was a man born in England in the 1800s, spent most of his life as a businessman in Glasgow, Scotland. 
1865, William was 29 years old when he suffered a near-fatal bout of sickness. He was afflicted with severe depression, but this near-death experience changed him completely. Light broke through to a dark heart. It was while he was recovering from this illness, from this experience, that his heart was completely changed. And he experienced this spiritual awakening that inspired him to write many hymns. He became an avid reader of the Bible, and it led him to pen and put into expression things that we sing still today. The lyrics of What Child Is This? As you prepare your own heart for Christmas, will you be like those religious leaders who knew about the Messiah but never went to find him? Is your heart becoming darkened like Herod's? Or can you truly seek Jesus as the Magi did? God has given you the light to do so. Move toward Jesus Christ. Go to the manger. Ask, what child is this? And then offer yourself in worship. These words that Dick's pen say it all. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. That is my prayer for myself this Christmas and for you as well. Will you pray with me? Lord, we acknowledge before you that the darkness of this story of Herod can, can creep into our own hearts as well. Thank you that you came in love to reach out to each person in this story and in our story as well. You reach to us wherever our heart is this morning. May we desire to look at you in the fullness of who you are, to come closer in worship, to seek you and worship you and give you our hearts. Enthrone yourself in our hearts, we pray, Lord. May that be the Christmas good news that keeps us going no matter what comes. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.